Welcome to Rector's Cupboard, a podcast for people who are interested in questions of culture and faith. We ask these questions from outside the institutional structures of religion. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you enjoy and benefit from the conversation. Will Williman has upset a lot of people, but that is not the only reason that we like him. Will has become a friend of Rector's Cupboard, though we are in Vancouver and he is at Duke University in North Carolina. Will has taught at Duke Divinity School, he's written very many books, and he's been recognized as one of the best preachers in the United States. He joins us in this episode to talk about his recent book, Listener's Dare. The book is about the important place of the hearer in the consideration of sermons. Real hearing requires divine assistance, but when a good sermon is truly heard, it can be life-changing, and more than that, it can call the listener to redemptive work of hope and meaning for the world. Listener's Dare is full of compelling thoughts and interesting advice for how to listen to sermons. We are invited to talk back to the sermon. We're also invited to see that God's voice is more of an intrusion into our lives than an affirmation of our views and perspectives. It's always fun to speak with Will. We're quite convinced that you will enjoy the conversation as well. The Cupboard is happy to welcome back the Reverend Dr. Will Williman. He is a pastor, bishop in the United Methodist Church, and the author of a lot of books. We spoke to Will in the fall about his then latest book, and we have the privilege to speak to him now about his newest book, available everywhere, Listeners Dare, Hearing God in the Sermon. We're so grateful for our connection to Will and have loved our conversations with him over the years. Uh, We find ourselves often challenged by his work, not that that's a problem for Will, and our conversations filled with a lot of laughter. While Will's work is serious in nature, it's about important things. Um, Will doesn't take himself too seriously, and we like that. Uh, Today, we have Cupboard host Todd and Cupboard master Ken here to speak with Will. Welcome, Ken. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Welcome, Todd. Thank you. And most importantly, Hello. welcome, Will Williman. So great oh, to have you back. Oh, it's great to be back, Allison. Thank you. So, Will, just to get things started here, what on earth or may, maybe in heaven possessed you to write a book about telling congregations how to listen to sermons? <laughs> and and why, why, who do you envision listen, reading uh, such an endeavor? I hope... Uh... It'll be read by listeners to sermons, and I make the point in the book that all of us Christians are, by, I think, the action of God, all of us are sermon listeners. Uh, Good preachers have to be good listeners, and uh, so therefore, uh, we're we're listeners all, Um, but I think I have learned over the years that uh, listening to a sermon requires a particular set of expectations, understandings, skills, habits, and sometimes we preachers uh, don't adequately appreciate what we're demanding of our listeners Mm. when we say, hey, listen up to my Mm. sermon. And sometimes listeners arrive at a sermon assuming that because they're an intelligent, caring, sensitive North American person, uh, they already possess all the skills (laughs) they know to listen to a sermon. (laughs) I I know it was, I learned as a college chaplain at Duke, um, students, that one of the major jobs of being a student is to learn how to listen to a lecture. And just because you're an intelligent person, just because you try hard, um, say, learning to listen to a lecture in physics is quite different Mm. than listening to a lecture on French history. There's a set of sort of expectations, rules, if you will, that have got to be exercised in order to listen well. Do you think, uh, you know, you're mentioning the university setting Duke and other places. And I don't know if this is anecdotal or, but something that I think I've noticed in, in some university settings that I wonder uh, if this is similar in church settings is uh, less listening 
uh, so classes, for example, in, in even theological schools and places, I've just noticed that there's less lecturing than there used to be and more even on Zoom and such hearing from the students, right? Where it's a small, yeah. a small section of, of teaching and then it's all what everybody else thinks of it. Um, have you seen a similar thing in the church? Is the sermon itself getting kind of, you know, pushed out a little bit or not? You know, uh, I'm old enough to to be able to say that in my memory, uh, we seem to go in like 10, 20 year cycles that mm. uh, there seems to always be the announcement, hey, preachers, preaching is dead. Uh, the sermon's over. In fact, when I was in seminary, late 60s, early 70s, um, mm. I remember Two or three books said just that. I'm sorry, preachers. Preaching cannot possibly co compete with uh, the two-way communication. Mm. Uh, you can't be as slick and polished as a TV news personality. Mm. Uh, preaching is dead. Uh, preaching is authoritarian. It's one-way communication. People are not going to sit for some person standing up there and authoritatively telling them stuff they want to interact they want to yeah you know some of that proved to be true but it did not prove to be true that preaching was dead uh, the wonder of a human being standing up and giving testimony uh mm. we we use that phrase testimony uh, tom long did a good book on preaching uh, relating testimony but uh you know what what does a witness do? A witness comes into a courtroom and the judge doesn't say to the witness, uh, first you share your life experiences with me and then I'll share my life experiences with you. And, uh, and let's, let's just have a relationship that we might go with that. No, the judge just says, right. what, what did you witness at the corner of fourth and vine at 10 o'clock uh, on Wednesday morning? And the witness is expected to just stand and deliver and say, okay, here's what I know. Here's what I saw. Uh, well, that's kind of what mm. happens in preaching. And in the book I talk about, it's really good for us preachers to seek lay feedback. And I give some ways that I have sought lay feedback in the past and uh, some techniques for doing that that others have used. I report on some of the research about what yeah. laity are hearing and preaching. However, I also have to admit, preaching is hard mm -hmm. and it requires a whole range of skills. I mean, what do you think they were making us go to seminary for all those years were for? Um, that not every lay Christian is, is supposed to have. Mm -hmm. And so it does mean that that though we get feedback and we really want to know what our listeners are hearing, um, that, that that's also limited in how much that really helps us preachers mm. know how to preach. Um, so where, where do you see it being more problematic then? Is it, is it more in the in, sitting with the listener or the preacher in terms of, the, the flaws in the sermon system, so to speak. Gosh, I, I think it would, I'd have to say both. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in most, Everyone's in, at fault. Yeah. You know, in most of my life and in most of my books about preaching, I have really laid most of the responsibility on the back of the preacher. It's your job to communicate well, to be clear, mm -hmm. to be passionate, to be interesting. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in this book, I think I'm trying to turn more toward the listener to say, hey, you listeners also bear some responsibility mm -hmm. in this task. And that, uh, you know, for instance, they're dumb things to ask of a sermon, yeah. but a sermon has no intention of fulfilling. Uh, also, you know, when a listener says to me, as the listeners occasionally have said to me, uh, 
Hey, I didn't get anything out oh, of your yeah. sermon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, okay. Thank you for your feedback. Um, that that does it in the conversation. That, that probably ought to be probed uh, with questions like, well, what did you put into the sermon? Yeah. Or uh, is this the first sermon you've ever heard? <laughs> or is this the 2000th sermon that you've heard and therefore you... Uh, or, or rather limited or in your expectations for what a sermon must be. Uh, do you know anything about scripture? Because most sermons try to be biblical. Uh, are you trying to be a Christian? Or are you steadfastly opposed to mm -hmm. being made a Christian? Uh, you know, there's a whole bunch yeah. of questions like that that may back up that statement. I didn't get anything out of your sermon. So I think uh, I am fascinated by the fact that our listeners intrude powerfully into the meaning of a sermon. Uh, every preacher has this experience of preaching a sermon. And then at the church door, a layperson says, that was a great sermon right. about so-and-so. Right. Yeah, And then you as a preacher yeah think to yourself i don't advise saying this to listeners but you idiot uh <laughs> i have a copy of the manuscript yeah. i didn't say that yeah. in the sermon or i said the opposite uh yeah yeah uh well um uh, that uh, that i'm i claim is is could be just an everyday observation of the work of the Holy Spirit in a life where the Holy Spirit sort of grabs my sermon and says, okay, I'm going to make your sermon mine. Hmm. I'm going to say things to the listener that you're not responsible for. I'm going to say more than you're able to say. Uh, yeah. And then sometimes it's uh, preaching is difficult to make contact with a listener because hmm. Uh, listening is a, a complex process too, and it just involves a wide array of mechanisms that come into play. Uh, mm. I know a friend of mine uh, watched his wife, uh, who's an attorney, uh, do a mock court experience where the uh, attorney's firm uh, tried to set up a kind of court situation where they argued their case and people came back and I, well, I asked my friend, what did you learn watching these attorneys at work rehearsing themselves before going into court? And my friend said, the possibilities for misunderstanding mm. are just uh, infinite. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. That's, and there's a, I think you point out an interesting tension there of yeah, sometimes a listener completely misunderstands what you said, and that can be problematic. I, I was preaching once in a church where someone in the middle of the sermon stood up and said, I don't need to listen to this shit anymore, and walked out. <laughs> Sorry, um, Ken. <laughs> uh, Thanks for your feedback. Yeah, 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 in the middle of the sermon. Um, but at the same time, the sermon can also, and you point this out in your book, the sermon's not complete until it's heard by the listener and they've had a chance to process it. So the sermon may indeed be saying things that you didn't think you were saying, but the Holy Spirit hijacks it and says, no, this is what it's going to say. So there's a tension there between a complete misunderstanding and God doing more with it than what you intended. It is one yes. of the things, yeah, that's great about the book that I really like too, is that you, as someone who's preached for years and still preaches, and it, it, um, takes the kind of self-focus off of the of the preacher but also takes the pressure off where there's almost like this sermon doesn't like entirely belong to you this there's something else going on here you say it's you know polyvalent it, it can mean different things to different people yeah that it, that it belongs and to the spirit. part of the fun I, I, I bet you guys could testify as part of the fun of preaching it's also part of the terror of preaching and um yeah. i know I, as a young preacher, used to get tired for being blamed uh, or accused of saying things that I did not mm. say mm. 
or intend to imply in the sermon. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but but it's kind of like I hear the Holy Spirit saying, uh, "Well, who told you that you were the preacher here? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I'm busy. I'm busy working with the communication." And I had to admit, as a young preacher. I like to be in charge of the communication. I, I like to be in control. That's one reason I preached from a manuscript. Um, it gave me a sense that I'm want to, as exactly and carefully as I can, I want to say this. Well, fine, except um, it's the nature, it's a claim of preaching that uh, as we speak, uh, God is speaking. Uh, mm -hmm. Jesus says flat out to his disciples, uh, pitiful preachers, though they probably were, uh, he who listens to you hears me. What an outrageous assertion. And yet it, it's also a reminder that things are said that, that, that again, in the preaching act, uh, more is said than I know how to say. Hmm. You, I mean, you mentioned there. You, you used to preach from a manuscript. You used, uh, to, you used to write out yeah. your sermons, yeah. Because in the book, you yeah. you, you say um, you yeah. kind of warn against that a little bit or or push. I, I do. Uh, I did. I did uh, always. It was kind of the way I learned to preach was yeah. I would write out my sermon with a manuscript. Uh, now I feel a bit freer to kind of preach from an outline. Yeah. But it depends. Uh, I was preaching in a. Episcopal Church last Sunday. Angle. Sorry, <laughs> and uh, the preacher warned me uh, by saying, uh, "Hey, um, you know we we normally our sermons are about ten to twelve minutes." I uh, said, "Yeah, well, that's only one reason I'm not a not Episcopal, <laughs> uh, but I did try, knowing that was their definition and experience of preaching." I tried to preach about 12, 13 minutes, and um, I wrote out my sermon. Yeah. Hmm. And then I virtually memorized my sermon. And when I went into the pulpit, I had not a note in front of me uh, because, mm -hmm. because I'd kind of, what I'd memorized, kind of the outline of my remarks. And since it was only about 12 minutes, wasn't that much to remember. Right. <laughs> but, but I do, um, I remember saying to my father-in-law, who was a Methodist preacher for 50 years, I can't wait till I get to be an experienced older preacher where I don't have to write out my sermons. And he said, son, uh, you shouldn't write out sermons unless you're an older experienced preacher. Mm -hmm. Because he said, you're going to find that the longer you preach, uh, the more you slip into cliches and tried expressions that you use mm. and reuse mm. and use again. And uh, that can really be detrimental uh, to preaching. I, I thought it was wonderful advice. And uh, I know, uh, you know, for, you know, go into the pulpit to talk about Jesus' words on marriage after divorce. <laughs> You better write that sermon out <laughs> because you really want to, out of love for your people, you you want to you want to say what you want to say um, at, as clearly as you can say it. And um, I remember being at a preaching conference where the preacher, the featured preacher, bragged that he did not use a manuscript and and all. Well, when he finished his 40-minute uh, mm. rambling sermon, <laughs> my wife turned over and uh, turned around to me and said, uh, uh, tell him to use a manuscript, okay? <laughs> tell him I speak for the entire congregation. Oh. Use a manuscript. Uh, so uh, hmm. the argument against a manuscript for me is, uh, I think preaching is a bodily activity. Yeah, Eye contact that. means a whole lot. I'm impressed by how much eye contact means not only for the listener, it, a way of engaging uh, the listener, but also for the preacher. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm busy receiving yeah. signals 
And if I'm looking at my manuscript yeah. the whole time or my head is bobbing up and down, looking at the manuscript, then not looking at all. Um, and I think preaching is, I go back to what I said earlier, it's testimony. Hmm. And somehow to get testimony from someone, if they're looking you in the eye, that's more powerful than if they're reading you a statement. Uh, you also push back against something that Ken and I both, when we speak about preaching in our background, and um, and for me, having most of my experience in the evangelical church, uh, you push back uh, somewhat in the book against what people would call application. Like, uh, you know, that the preacher has to have like three points of, here's what to go and do with this now. And again, because I think you're you're calling for something kind of higher. That, that, um, that in my mind brings up this idea of what are listeners listening for and so if they're listening for application that's you know a little more i suppose self-focused like what am i going to do with this and you you give some space there so in lobbing this question to you um uh, to put it succinctly um do you think most sermons are are about people or about god what are people listening for and what are sermons trying to do well I think that's a great question in the sense that uh, I, one of the claims I make in the book is I, well, I think sermons should be about God uh, because I think scripture is about God. One of my hermeneutical interpretive principles is scripture always and everywhere speaks about God and only secondarily or derivatively does it talk about us. That I think, that can stand up to test with most biblical material. Uh, therefore, a sermon, in being biblical, will also be about God. Trouble is, I think we have been in the grip, and maybe this is one of the reasons I wrote the book, we've been in the grip in the past decades of the assumption that a sermon is mostly for you, that that. Uh, I just heard a distinguished uh, evangelical preacher said, you know, the purpose of preaching is to take the biblical text and apply it to your life. Mm -hmm. And you need to walk out of church every Sunday mm -hmm. saying, okay, I've got a couple of good uh, points that, that will intersect with my life that I can put into practice in the coming week. Well, I said, no, I think sermons should be biblical. Mm -hmm. And if the biblical text is something that you can apply to your life, such as turn the other cheek, mm -hmm. uh, forgive those uh, who persecute you, uh, yeah, good, fine. Go apply it to your life. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor. Good, that's life application, yeah. uh, uh, direct. Uh, however, Scripture doesn't seem to do much of that uh more typical of scripture is stories yeah. uh accounts of things narratives that if there's going to be application to your life you'll have to do that and i'm i'm wary when preachers step in and they'll say okay that's the story of the prodigal son now right. what <laughs> is the how can you apply the story of the prodigal son to your family life today well, I think I'd, I'd want to say to the preacher, there's no way Jesus could have told that story concerned about family life. Uh, I mean, for one thing, Jesus had a real problems with his family uh, and had no family himself, uh, as he said. Well, um, no, um, when, when I try, when I take over a sermon and say, let me rummage around in this sermon and see what I can use to apply to myself. It puts me in control yeah. of the communication. It yeah. acts like one that I know what I need to hear in my life. Right. Mm -hmm. it, uh, and uh, I think that is an abuse of scripture and, and a, an abuse of preaching. Amen. Better to say, I, I like, I quote uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer saying, uh, Preaching allows the risen Christ mm -hmm. to walk among his people. And that preaching is best of all thought of ultimately as an encounter with the risen Christ. 
And it's conceivable. Sometimes the risen Christ says to us, hey, here's what I want you to do in your life on Monday morning. Uh, more typically, I think, is for Christ to say, hey, I don't know what you're going to be doing on Monday morning, but whatever you're going to be doing, just remember this. Mm-hmm. I, I want you. I love yeah. you. I, I died for you. Uh, I got plans for you. Uh, just remember that. Or maybe to say, hey, uh, pragmatic, utilitarian listener, mm-hmm. uh, I don't uh, know what you're going to be doing on Monday morning, but why don't I tell you what I, as Savior <laughs> of the world, will be doing on Monday morning? <laughs> I will be working all things toward my purpose. Now, I'd love to have you get on board with that, but uh, whether you get on board or not, this is who I am and what I'm up to. And I think preaching is best conceived of, of, of who is God, what's God up to, and then only derivatively, how can we hitch on to it? Yeah. But that, that's very yeah. different than a lot of well, preaching so. I hear. Yes. So would you say that um, the sermon is still God's favored way to speak to the people i mean it it makes sense in a in for four thousand years most people were illiterate and didn't have a book to buy even if they were illiterate now everyone can have as many books as many podcasts as many ways of hearing and reading and understanding things so why would preaching still be useful or is it still god's favored way of communicating to his people i think you could argue biblically uh, or historically that, yeah, I, in your mm-hmm. phrase, yeah, it's, it's God's favorite way of speaking uh, for reasons known only to God. Uh, <laughs> Paul says, faith comes by hearing. Uh, Jesus says, when, when you speak, I speak. Um, but, but also because I think it's God has created us to be people who at our best ask, hey, got any word from the Lord? And the wonder of one human being standing up mm. in, in a gathering of human beings who, who is known and who knows them uh, and just testifying to the truth, that, that is a wonder. I, I remember being in a preaching workshop in New England uh, years ago, a few years ago, and one of the preachers said, do you really think preaching is still valued and needed? And it is interesting, uh, over the years, usually the people who most disbelieve in preaching tend to be preachers. (laughs) And we could talk about psychologically why that is. (laughs) Um, But, uh, and I said, well, maybe uh, that's, it is less valued. I said, all I know is it appears America is getting to ready to elect as our president a man who has had very little work experience except being a community organizer, uh, politician. Uh, we're we're going to elect him on the basis that he talks really, really well. And he talks so much better than the previous, the current president talks. And um, that must mean something. Also, during the pandemic, uh, I said to preachers, now there's a doctor in Washington, and all he ever felt he wanted to do in life was be a doctor. And that was all he was trained to do. But in the middle of the pandemic, now he has been made a preacher. And my wife will say to me, I think Dr. Fauci is going to be on the news tonight. Don't you? That's the, and I said, sometimes preacher Fauci uh, lectures <laughs> us. Sometimes he gives us information. Sometimes he scolds us. Sometimes he says, you're doing very, very well. I'm very proud of all of you. Uh, well, isn't that weird that this horrible pandemic has forced somebody into preaching. And isn't it interesting that during this horrible pandemic, we're begging for preacher. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and we say, 
hey, even though you're a doctor and don't know a darn thing about preaching, uh, you're going to have to learn. Give okay? us a word. Because yes. we got to have a word. <laughs> yeah. We've got to have a word. It, it's um, not to connect this with Fauci, but one of the things I had uh, comes up in a number of things in your book that uh, it generates in my mind is what, what about like bad preaching? How, how do you listen well when the preaching might be bad. And I'm thinking of the American experience now and some of our political views on it or whatever. Other people may differ. But um, I, I might say that a lot of damage has been done in the United States and other places, but by bad preaching. And mm-hmm. and that, you know, a lot of the political fissures um, can be traced to pulpits. Um, what's the responsibility there of listeners? Uh, how do we become kind of, I'd say, discerning or whatever? What, what's the role there of listening? Well, uh, it's important to admit uh, what you just said is true, that um, people have been abused in mm. preaching. Uh, hmm. uh, Adolf Hitler was said to be hmm. an unbelievably wonderful oral communicator. Yeah in mass audiences and all. And um, you meet people who have uh, have really been hurt by preaching. And I I know uh, uh, teaching class in divinity school and the students were complaining that I was assigning too much reading. So I thought about it and I was thinking about maybe backing off on some of the reading requirements. Well, on the way to class, I was listening to uh, NPR, and they were talking about the breakout of Hansen's disease on the Texas-Mexico border. Hansen's disease, what is called leprosy in the Bible, these skin diseases. And um, they were interviewing a public health nurse in Texas, and they were asking her, what's your biggest challenge in working with people who have this leprosy? Uh, And she said, my biggest challenge, the biggest question my patients ask is, I can't believe why God has given me leprosy because I've always tried to live a good Christian mm. life and help other mm. people when I could. So <laughs> I arrived in my class and I said, I have just heard testimonial from a public health nurse in Texas uh, suggesting that in Texas, not only do people have to suffer with these skin diseases, but also they have to be in anguish because some ignorant, arrogant Texas Mm. preacher has told them (laughs) that God punishes people with leprosy. Uh, So my point is, you're going to have to do all the reading as a son. <laughs> and in fact, I'm thinking about putting on more reading yeah. if you're going to Texas. And, uh, you know, that I, you, you can hurt people through your own ignorance. But I think the scandal, the, the outrage, when Jesus turns to his disciples and said, he who listens to you listens to me, or I'm sending you with all your faults and all forth to preach. And it, it it's a scandal. Yeah. And it we preachers could be subject to all kinds of horrible self-delusions about ourselves and all. And our listeners can be hurt and victimized by what we say. However, this does seem to be the, a major way God Almighty has chosen to get through to God's people and and to turn toward God's people is is through preaching. I, I think it just reminds me of what a heavy responsibility uh, we preachers bear and mm-hmm. uh, uh, to to speak. Uh, I remember preaching a stem winder of a prophetic sermon, and a woman <laughs> comes out of church and said, you didn't say all uh, you said this morning because you love Jesus <laughs> and walked away. <laughs> and I, she was right. Yeah. I'm, I, I think I had allowed my own stuff 
mm. my own crusades, my own passions mm. to get all twisted up there. Sometimes listeners have to sort that out. Uh, also, sometimes listeners have to realize that preacher who preached to me was wrong. Right. Uh, mm. that, that preacher misrepresented Christ. But now, generally, a, a, you know, the way you overcome that is to hear another preacher <laughs> representing Christ in a different way, and then you are uh, freed uh, from that harm. Uh, so it's, it's tough. It, it's also, hey, we're talking about God here, and they just, uh, yeah, it, it's like when people tell me that my sermons are confusing or that they had trouble following them. I said, well, at least I'm better organized than like Mark. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least I had an ending. That's more than Mark pulled off. Come on. And, uh, or preacher, you know, when someone says, uh, well, you know, that's not the way I've always believed, or that's not the way I've always heard that preached. You can say, really, well, tell me about how you've heard it preached. Oh, by the way, have you ever noticed we have four Gospels? Yeah. Hmm. You'd think somebody would have said, hey, it can confuse the kids if we got four different <laughs> testimonials, and some of them differing with one another, and some of them uh, uh, could be, uh, let, let, let's get it down to one Gospel. Well, a guy tried to do that, the Diatessaron, and was... Uh, persecuted for it by the church, justly so, I think. Uh, well, you know, there's something about Jesus Christ that means that there's just a plethora, a plentitude of testimonials to him, different takes on him, because he is so rich and multifaceted, because in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You, you uh I mean, I think overarching in the in the book for me is obviously this concept that God speaks and we can hear. Mm -hmm. And that is not, you know, assumed by a number of people and many people. And I don't know that it's assumed necessarily even in mm -hmm. sermons anymore. You mentioned, Will, that God's speaking is always an intrusion. And I would imagine it's an intrusion into sermons as well. <laughs> that, you know, it's, uh, but you, and then you just sit here, after all, we're talking about God. I, I think to the book, to the part, can you remember this too, when uh, you're speaking about the parable of the sower and the soils and the, and I think you're referencing a sermon that you heard that basically, like a lot of us may have heard that says, okay, um, you know, there's all these, there's these four different kinds of soil and it only grows really well and keeps growing in this one. And so now the point of application is go out and, you know, be, be, the, best, be the best soil you can be. And you're like, it can't possibly mean <laughs> that. Um, so uh, do you think people are, are still um, kind of taken up by this idea that I, I'm, I might hear God here or are, are we even there now? I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I am concerned. Yeah. I, I report some of this in the book. When you, you ask people, what do you look for in a sermon? What do you want in a preacher? Some of that seems to me kind of bad news mm. because uh, listeners will say, well, I want someone to help me uh, uh, relieve my anxiety. Uh, uh, I have a very stress-filled life and I want a sense of peace. Uh or I want application to my daily lives, uh, my life. Uh, and that bothers me because I don't think those are often the purposes of Scripture. And I think preaching should be biblical. Uh, sometimes Scripture and preaching do help relieve you of stress, but sometimes they also give you stresses you yeah. would have never had had you not listened to the sermon. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, but I, I do, I think we preachers ought to take seriously. People keep coming yes. to preaching. People keep sitting there. And 
I, I tell in the book about a conversation, you know, where we preachers were talking about, lady, don't listen. They don't hear. They come to be pat on the, patted on the head and sent out with some sweet poem and a thought for the day. And one of the older preachers said, uh, oh, these stupid lady, they keep showing up, don't they? <laughs> you know, when are they going to find out preaching is stupid? They just don't seem to get the message, do they? Well, I think that's got to be taken seriously. And, you know, I guess as a pastor, maybe this is my defensive mechanism, but I always assume people are always in church for the wrong reasons. Uh, <laughs> and that's where I come in. <laughs> and to say, you thought you came here this morning because you wanted some peace in your stress-filled life. Well, surprise Jesus doesn't care. Uh, Jesus is going to give you an assignment anyway. Uh, sorry if he's bad timing. You know, and, and, you, and you think, you know, maybe you have so much stress in your life because you're, you're not expending your life on anything that's worthwhile or interesting. You know, maybe. Um, so um, we preachers are constantly rearranging people's reasons for listening we hope, we pray that we people are surprised. Mm. I came here this morning seeking for some help with my family problems. And lo and behold, I got something better. Yeah. I met God. I, I, I had a faith engendering theophany yeah. while you were preaching. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Weird. Amazing. And um, I, I think also to... You know, the person who comes out and says, uh, you know, that sermon really didn't relate to anything in my world. It just didn't relate to my life and all. And I said, where would you get the notion that we would want to relate to your life? <laughs> We're not impressed by your life, actually. Uh, we, we want to give you a better life. God doesn't want to speak to your world. God wants to rock your world. God wants to give you a new world that you couldn't have had. If you hadn't gotten dressed, come down here to inconvenient hours of the week and listen to this sermon. So uh, I think we preachers ought to see ourselves also as teachers and to help people. Uh, somebody comes out of one of my sermons and they say, wow, it just all came together mm -hmm. for me today. Wow, that was the best sermon I've ever heard. That was great. Well, then I can say, <clears throat> wow, I guess the women were right, uh, who ran back from the tomb on Easter morning. He's loose. Mm -hmm. He's loose, and he's talking to people that I don't necessarily want to talk to. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he's there. He's raised. He's resurrected. And, and so, uh, again, more happens by the grace of God more happens in preaching than, than I can produce yeah. because God gets in there. And, and, and I, and, yeah. I, I was going to say, I think that's where this commonality between the preacher and the listener is both benefit from having a posture of a willingness to be surprised and disrupted. So as the preacher approaches the text for that week that they've read dozens and dozens of times before, a posture of willingness to be surprised, shocked, disrupted, to see something new, but also for the listener coming in to hear the sermon, the same posture. I know the story of the Good Samaritan, but let me be shocked, surprised, disrupted by what I hear again. Mm. You know what that does for me, Ken, is that, and I, you know. Yeah, let me just say that, oh, Ken, that, uh, that, that's a great example of, of saying to people, um, rather than, always expect the sermon to give you confirmation expect hope for sometimes the sermon brings you god-inspired disruption yeah. mm -hmm. see right there you're already turning the listeners expectations uh toward this kind of communication mm -hmm. excuse me no thank you both it it just is exactly to say that that the four of us here we've all been involved in church work and all preached at some various point. Say, yes, you have. Have I? A little bit. Well, you um, preach to us a lot. So 
All of us. You're the only ones willing to listen. You've been a listener, Allison. I I can (laughs) say this with confidence. All of us are also listeners. And, And one of the things that your book strikes in me is the beauty of listening and how, you know, grateful we can be that this is how God has ordained it, that we can listen. Um, practically in that, if you were going to write a book uh, about listening to sermons, but the only audience was preachers. Oh, I feel for um, that. Do you think preachers, <laughs> you know, what are the challenges for preachers in listening to other preachers preach? Well, I uh, think that's, that could be seen as one of the great gifts of technology in the present moment. When I was a young preacher, I was desperate to hear somebody else preach. I, I was learning how to preach, and and uh, all I could do is try to get cassette tapes from somewhere. That, hmm. And uh, now, yeah, uh, I routinely listen to two or three preachers uh, while I'm on my elliptical machine uh, each morning. Uh, that's just what a gift. That is just amazing, and I think uh, one it. Fellow preachers, uh, I think preaching is a craft. I think the way to learn how to preach is to the same way you learn how to paint a painting or throw a pot, uh, or you, you look over the shoulder of a master at work, and you, because it's a work of art, it can be uh, a failure. And you look over the shoulder of the artist, and you you become an artist by that way of, of saying, I wonder why that worked. Ooh, I wonder why that didn't work. And I got to have a privileged place in Duke Chapel. We had a lot of guest preachers come and I could sit up there and I could listen to some of the greatest preachers mm-hmm. and, and say, wow, this sermon is just not working. I, I wonder why, or this sermon is not engaging uh, anybody. Uh, you know, and I, so I could think about that. I also could think about, you know, wow, why did that sermon have such an impact? You could just feel it in the whole congregation. So I think uh, listening to other preachers is a key. In fact, I say to preachers that to grow as a preacher, you've got to get good at receiving and giving help uh, to one another. Hmm. That people shouldn't be preaching alone. They should be with colleagues uh, in a group or a covenant together to share sermons and work on sermons together and all. So I think uh, listening to other preachers, listening to other preachers sometimes can be uh, disheartening as we (laughs) listen to the gospel communicated so well. Yeah. And we think to ourselves, I could never do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, gee, I wish I didn't have such a raspy voice and such a bad Southern <laughs> accent. I, I wouldn't be stuck in Durham. I'd be in, I'd be in L.A. at a big church somewhere. Um, well, you know, uh, there's that, too. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I find, like when I go to pastor schools and all, that when things go well for me in the pulpit, before a bunch of my colleagues, mm. I, I think many of my colleagues see that as a as a affirmation of what they're giving their lives yeah. to. And yeah, that's well said. I I I really like that you made that point. That's uh, that's something that you can see happening where it's possible for us to say, "Well, I couldn't do it that I couldn't do that, or I couldn't do it that well," but what I'm doing matters. Yeah, and the, and I'm doing mm-hmm. it in this context that you mentioned as, as we move towards um, closing our conversation. One of the th- things that I love in your book, and there's a lot, um, and we've just talked about it. You say in your book that preachers are listeners who speak, and that obviously the implication there is good preaching. Uh, you know, the prerequisite is good listening, but you also say in your book that God is a good listener. Um, tell us what you mean by that or tell us more about that well i i think that is one of the most loving Mm. things god does for us is to listen uh god speaks the prophets talk about idols are dumb 
uh, idols don't say anything, but they also mm-hmm. mock the notion that idols hear anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, God risk listening is a claim. God, I think of God uh, of Israel in the church as, as being a big talker, but you could also say God is an amazing listener uh, that to show up and say to Moses, I've heard the cry of my people. I've heard, I've heard it, and now I've moved. Of course, then Moses says, well, great, it only took you 400 years (laughs) uh, while we're here in slavery to hear, but fine, good, okay, you heard. Uh, But um, prayer, prayer is an amazing act. Why are we talking in prayer? Well, we, we do so out of faith that actually someone listens, uh, hears our anguished uh, cries or our shouts of gratitude and joy. And um, am I the only spouse that often hears from a spouse, you need to listen better or you're not listening and I'm talking and you, you know, yeah, well, your spouse is right because uh, listening is an act of love. Listening is risky. And I think one amazing thing is that uh, the Lord in a number of places says, uh, if, if my people will turn to me and talk to me, I'll change what I was planning on doing to them. Mm-hmm. I, will, uh, I will repent. Uh, wow, what, what a wonderful God we have that says, talk to me. Try to uh, talk me into stuff. Uh, and... Of course, as we're talking God into stuff, we're also busy listening out to ourselves, uh, talk ourselves into stuff. But um, it's just one of the beautiful things. And when Jesus, I love the many, and there are many, I counted them up at some time, all, all the places in the Gospels where Jesus doesn't say to us, obey, mm. or he doesn't say to us, suffer, or fight, or struggle. He says, listen. Listen, a a man was going out to sow some seed. Listen, well, what a wonderful thing, uh, or or the great Shema of of Israel. Mm -hmm. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And then Israel says, well, aren't we supposed to do a bunch of other stuff too? Yeah, well, Israel, just every morning, all I need for you to do, first of all, is just hear, just hear. That's all you got to do. And if you just, try to listen, I'll do the rest in you that I want to do. But it starts with listening. Uh, And I think that's, if we can learn to be better listeners of whether it's a sermon, uh, we end up becoming better listeners in general of God in the world. You talk in your book about how God speaks through many different things, including uh, even a dead dog. But uh, where... Quoting Bart. Quoting Bart. Yeah, 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 yeah. you were quoting Bart. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'll say yeah, that for you. Really, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, crude. Yeah. 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 yeah, you wouldn't be crude like Bart. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. Um, so where where else do you think it's helpful for listeners to listen? I mean, it's a pretty obvious question. I mean, I, in some ways, like whether it's through music or, or through just uh, nature, where else do you find places where you hear Jesus hmm. disrupting you? or disturbing you, or speaking mm. to you? I, I think if I want to be a better preacher, I need to be a better listener. I, you want to be a better preacher? Well, be a better listener to the biblical text. Mm-hmm. I, I can testify after five decades nearly of ministry that the biblical text keeps surprising me, which is surprising because you'd think as long as I've gone through the lectionary, as many times I've been through the lectionary, all that, I'm still capable of being shocked by Jesus yeah. on Sunday morning. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I just, so uh, listening to scripture. In fact, I think all of our hermeneutical exegetical skills listening, but also in the world, I, I love, uh, I would tell the students when I was a college chaplain, if God shows up in your life at an inopportune time and so, does some kinky things with you, you come right over here and tell me about it. Because uh, sometimes I think I'm just out here working alone, and I need to hear 
what God is up to on campus. And one of the perks of being a preacher is you hear some amazing testimonials of people at their worst, people at in their depths, but also in their heights. And so uh, I think one of the skills for being a contented, a, a, an engaged, happy pastor is to be curious, to, to listen, to say to somebody, could you tell me more? Or, wow, uh, I'd like to know more about that. Tell me, and what else? You know, and um, then I think listening to the world, uh, you know, to to be able to hear the, the victims of in, in Ukraine, uh, even to be able to hear when some scoundrel like Putin or his lackeys, uh, many of whom are fellow Christians, uh, when they say, uh, we are so tired of being told what to do by the West and being pushed around and you can't threaten us and we know what you're trying to do to destroy us. You tried to do it in World War II, you failed and you're not gonna do it. It, it uh, hmm. wow. Uh, in fact, maybe for today, for this discussion, we can just say that one of the great Christian virtues that we should pray for more Holy Spirit uh, to help us cultivate is listening. Amen. Amen. It's, uh, I, Ken and I can remember, uh, Will, one of the first encounters we had with you was we were in a room of a couple thousand people. I think at a youth specialties conference. Yeah, I was just I was just thinking about and, that. And uh, I probably have the cassette tape because you could you could go to the booth. Do you right, have and, something to play that and on? Order the no. cassette tapes, and we both knew. Yeah, yeah do you, Allison said, "Hey, old man, do you have anything to play it on?" She did, yeah. forget your cassette tape. Yeah. Okay, all right. And uh, Allison just had to get that. Ex- oh yeah, I'm sure we uh, we both bought the cassette. Yeah, and. Uh, I think right from that point, we knew that you are a preacher who listens and clearly has the ability to say, hang on, wait a sec. Did you see this? Did you hear this? And you keep doing it. You keep doing it for mm-hmm. us. We're grateful for it. Yeah. Um, we highly recommend this book. Uh, what comes out in the book, one of the many things is how you've just ended for us to the gift of listening that we, we get to do this. And mm-hmm. somehow we feel more alive when we're able to listen. Uh, and uh, you continue to be that for us. So thank you so, mm-hmm. so very Oh, much. gosh. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, that was uh, years ago. Right? Was, and, well, and in Clearly. fact, I still remember the topic was on the Ten Commandments. And one of your points was it, it's not a legal document. It's a liturgical document. It's answering the question, how huh. do we possibly relate no, that was a different to this God? I'm kidding. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah, that and, was somebody. I remember you talking about a monkey eating a sausage in church. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah. that, to the point of the topic of listening, that yeah. was probably back in 1996 huh. or something like that. Yeah. And that still informs my understanding of who God is today, that this, is, uh, this was a worship document more than it was yeah. anything else. And people you know, were listening well, to your sermon. Yeah, anyway. at least That's we listen. Close us off. So. I, I'm unworthy of such memories. But, uh, <laughs> you know, whenever a fellow Christian says to you, I don't get anything out of preaching or preaching is, is dead and it needs to uh, change radically and everything. So when you ask people, well, tell me about moments in your life when you felt particularly close to God or when you have been particularly challenged to grow Mm. as a Christian, they always talk about something they heard. Mm. (laughs) I don't don't think anybody's ever grown as a Christian by sitting quietly uh, in the woods and and thinking religious thoughts. (laughs) No, somebody's got to talk to you. And Mm. so that's fascinating that you two have these memories and I only vaguely remember any of that <laughs> well you don't and, remember us <laughs> yeah, i mean no, you know not only not because i'm old but the um but but that uh, that in a way is testimonial to faith comes by hearing yeah. mm-hmm. and uh we 
we're all kind of frighteningly dependent on somebody saying something to us that will mm. enable us to go on. And yeah. so well, thank you. Well thank said. You. Well put. Thank you so much. I for was, the book. Uh, when I uh, was starting out uh, in this, I got invited to be with Canadian Baptist in Banff. Oh, that's not so bad. And it was just—I've never seen anything so beautiful <laughs> as the, as and Banff. Not Banff. The, I, yes. I came back home, and uh, I was telling a preacher friend of mine. I said the Canadians invited me uh, up to speak. Baptist Canadians invited me up to speak in Banff. They invited me up to speak, and I said it was wonderful. They—they they really loved me. They—they they liked it. It, they they said it was just great. And my friend said, hell, you ought to hear me 500 miles away from home. I'm brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Okay. It's fantastic. Well, thank you. Rector's Cupboard releases a new episode every other Friday. The podcast is a production of Reflector Project. Hosts are Todd Weeb and Allison Williams. Cupboard Master for tastings and locations is Ken Bell. Production and social media by Amanda Mina. For past episodes and other content, visit rectorscupboard.ca. Thanks for listening.